who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Duel. Content warnings for death, language, discussion of alcohol, and depiction of violence. Ed Trigger Reed walks into an elevator from a job he'd just finished. He's a stocky man in his late 40s, and like many Americans, he hates his job. Ed usually numbs the grind of his freelance work with alcohol and cigarettes, curating a drinking habit that only makes him sloppier at his job. Besides his line of work, Ed also hates silence. It drives him mad, and the silence of this elevator was no different. Ed never liked jobs that were in older buildings, because the cinder walls ate sound, and the maddening silence was everywhere. To combat the silence, Ed starts licking his fingers. This is a sign that he's craving for a cigarette. But before he can put in his fifth Marlboro of the day, the elevator door slowly opens. No one steps inside the elevator as it waits on the floor, doors open. Ed begins to fidget, waiting for the elevator door to close, breathing a sigh of relief when the elevator makes a half-hearted sound and begins to shut. But at the last second, a hand gets in between the doors, and a young woman walks in. This girl looks like she's been through the ringer. Ed makes a harsh cough, hoping to scare her away from his proximity. But it doesn't deter the young woman, and she moves within a shoulder's distance of Ed. In an elevator, loss of personal space is customary, but to someone like Ed, this is a grave offense. Excuse me, he says tersely. The young woman doesn't respond. In his younger days, Ed would have responded to this slight with extreme violence. But he isn't in his prime anymore. His violent temperament replaced by a self-loathing, medicated with vice. The young woman scowls up at him, and this gives Ed a strange ping of familiarity. Do you have a problem, sir? She asks. With phony kindness, Ed says, I don't have a problem if you move to the other side of the elevator. The woman responds, Listen, this elevator is too damn small to move anywhere. I'm basically on the other side already. Ed sighs and goes to open his pack of Marlboros. When the young woman sees the cigarettes, she asks for one. 
You look way too young to have one of these, remarks Ed with a sound of concern. This girl could be twelve for all he knew. I'm older than I look, she grumbles. The girl looks up to glare at him, but her expression changes. Hey, mister, you're bleeding. Ed notices this and sighs, feigning disinterest as his heart begins to beat a mile a minute. Just hazards of the job, doll, he says, fumbling for an acceptable explanation. Of course, minutes prior to Ed stepping into the elevator, he had fulfilled a contract on Mark Galento, who owed the Pizzuti family money. But this young woman didn't need to know that, and her observations were dangerous. Ed begins to lower his hand to his thigh, where his holster lays, just in case. How horrible it would be to murder a child. He doesn't want to do it, but he can't leave a loose end. You're not the only one with a hazardous job, the young woman states, facade beginning to drop. I know why you're here. I've been following you. She stares at him with angry eyes, and Ed wonders if that's why her gaze is so familiar. Do I know you, honey? Is there some kind of business we've participated in? He asks her. The young woman is silent, but her hand glides to her thigh, an unmistakable gesture to a hired hitman. What do you have? Ed asks. But this question is pointless. He knows what it is. Do you know what you're doing with that? He questions. At this point, he is stalling for time, in the hopes of figuring out why this girl is so familiar. But he has no time to think. The young woman answers right away. It's a Colt 45. I've had 21 years of practice. Ed's made too many enemies over the years. Too many people have reason to threaten him with a gun in an elevator, and he can't narrow it down. Panicking, he asks, who put you up to this shit? The young woman doesn't answer, so Ed tries a different tactic. Can't we call this a draw? The girl shakes her head, and with that small motion, Ed knows she has to die. Their fates are sealed. They both know what's to come, but both are hesitant to pull the trigger. Ed frowns. The dance of death is long and laborious in his mind, but he hates the end, when the air is silent and the breaths are held. Ed doesn't want to die here, in this dirty, grimy, too quiet elevator. But the young woman is calm and collected, content with her life choices and willing to die for them. Ed wonders what those life choices are. I'll ask again. What do you want, girl? He questions with just a hint of fright. In answer, the young woman assumes a dueler's stance. Ed follows. Both hands twitch with anticipation, waiting until the right moment. Waiting for the... Now! Both raise their guns and two gunshots ring out, just as the elevator opens. 
the young woman appears unharmed, as if divine intervention had stopped the bullet aimed her way. But Ed slumps over, a bullet embedded in his gut. Who are you? He sputters, and finally gets his answer. The young woman pulls an old Polaroid out of her right pocket. The photo has a younger Ed, with a woman and a baby. Specifically, a woman and a baby Ed had not seen for decades. Hello, Dad. It's been a while. Do you even remember your little daughter, Ray? Ed can barely get enough air to breathe, and certainly not enough to respond. But the answer is yes. He remembers the look on her face right now. The same one Ray gave him when he abandoned the family. If only things could have been different. Ray shakes her head in disgust and turns to leave. In her mind, there is nothing to be said. Surrounded by the silence he hates so much, Ed can do nothing but cough up blood as his child walks away. The elevator doors close. Then the silence keeps Ed company. Until finally, he's silent too. This microsode was written by Joshua L. Belmonte, with editing by Tal Manier. It was narrated by Lindsay Zana and produced by Tal Manier. Joshua L. Belmonte is a writer and producer of Merchant of Death, an audio drama about a WW2 vet who turns to a life of crime. Lindsay Zana is a voiceover artist and singer who can be heard in audio dramas such as Arden, Primordial Deep, Dining in the Void, Starfall, and many more. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I use my background in journalism and draw on women's life experiences to add to the conversation on topics that matter to fellow feminists like you. Now in its second season, listen to new episodes each month as we explore finding yourself through divorce, battling call-out culture, questioning our ideas about masculinity, and discovering why girls' confidence plummets in their preteens. Guests include Stephanie Kuntz, historian and author of Marriage, a History, April White, author of Divorce Colony, and Loretta Ross, professor on white supremacy and call-out culture at Smith College. Listen to Thread the Needle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.